0: We are heading into New Year's weekend. You got to know that Andy and I are massive partiers. No, I'm just kidding. That's ridiculous. (laughs) But it's time for college basketball teams to make some resolutions that obviously none of them are going to break in 2024.
1: You are locked on college basketball, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.
0: Hey there, what's up? Welcome into the Locked On College Basketball Podcast, the only daily national college hoop show out there. We're your hosts. That's my guy, Andy Patton, right over there with what that's a great looking coffee mug, Andy. Way to go! I'm (laughs) Isaac Shade. We're so glad to be with you today. If you'd like to be a bigger part of our community, come join the Locked On College Basketball Discord. Or we're talking college hoops all day long, all the time. Link to that is in the show notes. Speaking of this show, it's brought to you by Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use code Locked On College for twenty dollars off your first purchase, folks. Big time news for our show: we have been shortlisted for the Sports Podcast Awards in the Best Basketball Podcast. Category We're the only college hoop show, the rest of them are all NBA shows. So come show the love for college hoops and vote for our show, it would mean so much to us. Well, Andy, I said it right out of the gate, but New Year's weekend is upon us. Uh, you just told me you've got some wild plans at a retirement home for (laughs) your New Year's. Uh, we're just having some friends over to our house, not going to, we do puzzles on New Year's Eve folks and shady acres. So, uh, it's going to be nice and boring, but Andy, uh, basically what we're going to do is trade back and forth a couple teams that we think need to make New Year's resolutions. And then we're also folks going to get you ready for the weekend. A little behind the curtains look really quick for you. Um, As Andy and I were deciding on this topic, I had texted Andy, I'm just going to type in several possibilities for resolutions. I don't really feel like I have to keep any of them. And I just meant that like, Andy, feel free to use some of these if you want to, but it totally reads like, ah, here's all these resolutions and they will all be gone by February. So Andy says back, spoken like someone who has made plenty of resolutions in the past. I'll just write a bunch of them and maybe pick two is pretty spot on. So uh, folks, I love that little hilarity at my expense. Andy, why don't you kick us off? What is the first team that needs to make a New Year's resolution For the rest of the 2024 college basketball season?
1: Yeah, I'm taking the USC Trojans, uh, and I tried to make my resolutions sound somewhat similar to kind of generic New Year's resolutions that you might see uh, people make, like taking better care of things, uh, taking better care of your possessions. And in this case, for USC, it's pretty simple. They need to take better care of the basketball. That's right. The biggest issue for this team on a team that has frankly showed quite a few issues so far this season. They have not lived up nearly to the expectations. I I think one of the biggest disappointments uh, in college basketball this season, although probably not even the biggest disappointment in their own conference, thanks to UCLA's uh, significant struggles this year. But for USC, uh, currently, as we're recording this, they are 290th in the country at Ken Palm at non-steel turnover percentage. Three basic stats. Uh, how, How often are they turning the basketball over when it's not getting directly taken away from them? There are only three power six teams that are worse at this metric than USC. Again, as we're recording this, those are Cal, Notre Dame and DePaul. You do Where's not Louisville? Rule. Why
0: aren't they on that list? I know,
1: shockingly, they're not on this list. <laughs> um, They're probably just getting bad shots up too early to to actually turn the basketball over. Uh, but regardless, you don't want to be in a conversation with Cal, Notre Dame, and DePaul. That is not no. a good spot to be Uh, for USC. The culprit is is pretty obvious. Uh, it's Isaiah Collier. He's he's fallen under a lot of criticism for this. Uh, in the first couple weeks of the season, his turnover numbers were over five per game. Uh, the expectation was always that that's going to come down as the year goes on, as he gets more comfortable, et cetera, et cetera. And it has a little bit. Uh, 4.1 turnovers per game right now as we're recording compared to only 4.3 assists. But at the end of the day, Collier, is he's turning the ball over too much. And it's really... Uh, curbing this USC's team's ability to to get good looks to not allow the other team to get out in transition and it's it's been a, a huge drag for a program that that had really high expectations this year and for a variety of reasons not just this uh, have not met those expectations
0: Andy that's that's nuts I mean if you're Andy Enfield what do you do with this do yeah. you like give the ball to somebody else mm-hmm. like hey boogie we want you on ball more. Hey, little Bronny guy, like mm-hmm. let's get you some more ball handle. Like, you know, like I feel like you got to try something here. You can't just keep doing what you're doing. That's the def- definition of insanity, right? Mm-hmm. So like if you're Andy Enfield, how would you handle this Andy? Pat? Yeah. <laughs> I think, I think you got to try Bronny more
1: on ball. I, I think that's the solution. He's only played three games. He's averaging 1.3 turnovers per game, which I mean just means he has four turnovers in three games. It's a a too small of a sample to really know. But Bronny was kind of lauded for his high basketball IQ, like for uh, his—he's not really—he's kind of more of an undersized two, I think, and I think certainly his expectation was that he would play more off the ball because Collier is going to be the primary point guard, but. I think you got to kind of try it. You could certainly try Boogie there. He only turns the ball over 1.6 times per game, which for a guy with the ball in his hands as often as Boogie has the ball, that's pretty good. Yeah. Uh, Johnson is, is also kind of a bit of a problem for them. He's turning the ball over about twice per game, but he's not a point guard. I, I don't really think Boogie is, is either, but no. – Maybe that's what you try. Maybe you just kind of ride it out with Isaiah. I mean, he's so talented. His ability to get to the rim is unprecedented, but the shot hasn't really been there. The, distri- the distribution facilitation skills, I think, are there at times. I think they'll be better in the NBA when he plays in a, you know, in a league with more spacing and, and yeah. less, uh, it, kind of less bunched up the way that the college basketball is. But I'm not sure there's an obvious solution. You can't play Collier less, and I don't think they're going to slide him off the ball dramatically more, but perhaps a few more possessions where Bronny's the primary ball handler, Collier's playing the two, maybe that could work for him. But I think the best thing is to just figure out why, what you can do to help Collier get better at this, because he's not only hurting USC, but he's hurting his draft stock too.
0: Well, and I was going to suggest, hey, maybe just turn it over more on steals, like make the other team take it from right. him. <laughs> but I was just looking at their total turnover percentage. It's not that much better, Andy. It's mm-hmm. it's double the non. So literally half of their turnovers are steals, half are non-unforced errors. Let's call yeah. it that. But they're 241st in the nation in turnover percentage mm-hmm. in general. So that, that doesn't get much better. So uh, they got to figure something out. Andy, let's switch to my first team, if and we can, and mm-hmm. that is the Creighton Blue Jays. I, I kind of wrote mine up almost like a uh, governmental resolution. We resolve that we will score 70 points and shoot 30% from three or more in every game. Andy, here's why. Greg McDermott's team, I think we can both recognize, has an absolutely electric yeah. offense. But there are two, to me, very clear demarcation lines between their wins and losses. The One of these we've already talked about is, is just the number of total points they scored. And I know that seems basic, but mm-hmm. you, I, Andy, one of the central tenets of basketball is that in order to win, uh, you have to put the ball in the basket more times than your opponent. Really? Yeah, it's this bonkers <laughs> new thing they've come up with. Uh, they actually found some old documentation from Dr. Naismith. And I had to put some lemon juice on No, it was a whole thing. But um, for Creighton, in their nine wins, they've scored 79 or more points in every one of them. Here are their point totals in their three losses. 48 against Colorado State, 64 against UNLV, 66 against Villanova. So there you go. Just score 80 or more points and you win. Here's the other thing. Here's the demarcation in the three-point shooting in those games. In their three losses sensing a theme here, 20.7%, 27.6%, 20.8%. In their nine wins, 47, 42, 34, 35, 51, 52, 35, 48, 33. So Andy, all Creighton has to do is shoot better from outside. And I know that, (laughs) that seems silly, like, oh, just stretch Armstrong out there and do it. But in their nine wins, the lowest they've shot from three is 33%. In their three losses, the best they've shot from three is 27. There you go. Score 80, you win. Make 30% of your threes, you win. What's interesting to me
1: about Creighton is they obviously have a team built around shooting with Stephen Ashworth coming in to replace Ryan Nemhard, I mean, that was the biggest difference between those two players is, you know, Nemhard's a better facilitator, a better true point guard. Ashworth's a much better shooter. And then obviously Baylor Shireman, tremendous outside shooter. Trey Alexander's a good outside shooter. Like this team is built to shoot from beyond the arc, but... I feel like they could rely more on Kalkbrenner as a low post Mm. scorer in games where the outside shot is not falling. You look at a team like Purdue, and obviously Kalkbrenner and Zach Eady are not the same. They are not going to be equal in terms of volume and uh, usage rate and efficiency and all that stuff. But, like, Purdue can really shoot it from beyond the arc. They're shooting over 40% from three, but part of that is because they have that inside-out game. They can rely on the low post uh, and they can kind of get better open shots that way. It feels like Creighton, it, their primary goal is to shoot threes, and then if they can also use that to feed the post, sure, they, they you know they'll do that as a secondary thing. I wonder if it, particularly in games against teams that defend the perimeter well or in just environments where they where they're not shooting the ball particularly well, trying to force the ball into the paint more and, and rely on Brenner. It feels like they're almost, not trying to do that, watching the Villanova game, and, and Villanova's got good low-post defenders and, and handled Cockburner sure. pretty well. But, sure. I mean, Creighton couldn't – they couldn't hit a three. They couldn't do it, and they didn't seem to have any alternative plans. And I wonder if if that's a way that they could almost kind of massage this stat to be like, well, maybe on off-shooting nights we can still find ways to win because unless they have no off-shooting nights five, six games in a row, that's not a recipe for success in the Big Dance.
0: And you see it uh, as you're talking. I'm looking at their point distribution. They are 14th in the nation in percentage of points coming from three at 39.8%. Mm-hmm. They're 319th in two-pointers mm-hmm. and 329th in terms of points coming from the free throw line. Yeah. So, Andy, it's not just about printer, It's about yeah. getting it into the lane, getting fouled and getting to the line. Lo- like, Trey Alexander should be taking like 87 free throws a game, and He should be getting <laughs> to the rim and yeah. doing it. So, yeah, there's got to be better balance there.
1: Well, Clemson is a team that needs to avoid a second half lull as they get into conference play, and Texas A&M they got a similar issue as Creighton. They got something that they really need to resolve this New Year's. We're going to talk about that after a word from today's sponsor, Game Time, folks. Maybe you missed out on a last minute Christmas gift for someone special. Well, good news. You are in luck with GameTime. Now you can make it up to them by buying a last-minute ticket to a big-time conference matchup or even a college football playoff semifinal game. GameTime is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all of the sports, music, comedy, and theater events near you. With killer last-minute deals, all-in prices, views from your seat, and their best price guarantee, GameTime has exactly what you need. Folks should not have to worry about when you're buying tickets to your next big event. And thankfully, GameTime has you covered because they have deals on tickets right up to the start of the event and even an hour after it starts. It is the perfect place to find last minute tickets. Take the guesswork out of buying tickets with GameTime. Download the GameTime app now, create an account, use promo code LOCKEDONCOLLEGE for $20 off your first purchase. Again, create an account and redeem code College" for $20 off. Terms do apply. Mm-hmm. Download Game Time today. Last-minute tickets, lowest prices, guaranteed. Well, Isaac, we got two of our four New Year's resolutions taken care of for the USC Trojans and Creighton Blue Jays, one school in the Big East, one school in the Pac-12. Now we got an ACC school and an SEC school to look at here. And Isaac, I'll let you kick it off here, talking about the Tigers of Clemson. Fantastic team
0: so far this year. What do you think they need to do uh, to keep going this season? Here is my resolution for the Clemson Tigers. We resolve to keep it rolling. Andy. This program is unfortunately notorious for a strong non-con start and then just absolutely falling off the face of the planet in ACC play. Now, granted, that was all in the like the end of the Oliver Purnell area era. Mm-hmm. Let me just take you through the couple years there: oh five, oh six, ten and 0 start. They went eight and twelve the rest of the way. Nit. 06 07 this is the worst of it they started 17 and 0 3 and 0 in ACC play then went 4 and 10 the rest of the way made the NIT 07 and 8 10 and 0 fell to a five seed lost in the first round the NCAA tournament 08 09 started 16 and 0 ending up falling to a seven seed loss in the first round of the NCAA tournament I mean it's just brutal even under Brad Brownell They've Mm -hmm. only made the tournament three times, Andy, in in just six times in the 2000s in total and not since 2021. This is a year, like so many of those, to be fair, were about bad non-conference scheduling. They just had weak, weak non-conference scheduling. This year, they've played a good schedule. They have legit dudes. I mean, PJ Hall right now has to be like, top three of your thoughtfulness for ACC player of the year Mm -hmm. consideration (laughs) 20.8 points 6.8 boards 2.4 assists Joe Girard has been a godsend coming over from Syracuse and obviously Chase Hunter keeps on rolling as the third leading scorer that top three is great to me the unsung hero is maybe Ian Shufflin Mm -hmm. um, who's averaging just shy of a double double 8.6 points 9.4 assists (laughs) Um, and I think this is Brad Brownell's best opportunity to really 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 make some postseason noise and Andy not just that but regular season noise because while the ACC is strong this is not at least right now an elite Duke team I know that North Carolina is right now in the top 10 I'm not sure they're necessarily worthy of that right now Miami hasn't been what they probably should be and neither is Virginia so Like I've so much of the bracketology I've looked at lately at different sites. They right now have Clemson as their pick for the automatic qualifier. Mm -hmm. Andy, I think this is the team to do it, but they got to prove it.
1: Yeah, they absolutely have to prove it. And I think to to your point about the scheduling, I think that's a huge part of this conversation and and a huge credit to Brad Brownell for, for being willing to play Good teams in the non-conference. I mean, they 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 only have one loss on the season. Of course, it was that two-point loss to Memphis. But this is not the same as those teams in the you know in the late 2000s who who weren't playing quality opponents. Right now, Clemson every they have two non-conference games so far that are against teams outside the top 150 in Ken Palm. Everybody else is a top 150 Ken Palm team. Everybody else, or excuse, I guess 166, UAB's 166. Everybody mm-hmm. else in that conversation, they have wins over Boise State, they have win over Alabama, win over Pitt, win over South, or Pitt, I guess is a conference game, but win over South Carolina. Like this TCU, this is a team that has played good quality opponents. They have beat good quality opponents. They are deep and they are experienced. I think the experience mm-hmm. is a huge part of this conversation. PJ Hall has been here for multiple years. He is an absolute star. He's one of, if not the very best player in the ACC. He is in that conversation. Joe Girard uh, is a transfer. He's new to the program. He's not new to the conference. He's not new to college basketball. He's been around for a really long time. And I think you look at a team that has that experience, that has felt that pain, that knows that this program has this reputation, that this has happened to him in the past, that it has happened to him in the recent past, last year, you know, they, they kind of didn't do what they needed to do in conference play. So they're feeling the strain from that. And I think that this is the, the right recipe for Clemson to do what they need to do. They're not going to go undefeated uh, in the ACC, I don't think. I would be Quite surprised if they were able to do that, but you know, you take some losses on the road at Duke, maybe on the road at Carolina, maybe you drop one of those games to Virginia or Miami. But uh, if you win the rest of your games, and if you just continue to grow and learn, and don't let a loss spiral into a second loss and a third loss and a fourth loss or losing four out of six or whatever it you know whatever it may be, if you can avoid those kind of slides, this is a team that could come into the NCAA tournament with a, a really favorable seed, one of the highest in school history. And not only that, they might be equipped to to really make some noise.
0: I love it. And that you talked about that non-conference strength of schedule. It's 49th right now mm-hmm. at Penn Palm. They're going to be tested early in ACC play, traveled to Miami on January 3rd and home against UNC on January 6th. So we'll find out more with that.
1: Well, the team that I wanted to give another resolution for here is uh, Texas A&M. And the resolution is one that I've had personally on my list in the past. Get outside more. And for AM specifically, this means uh, shoot more three-pointers, or, or I guess more specifically, make more three-pointers, because they're not good at that. One of the worst in college basketball right now, as we record this, 28.6% as a team Man. from three. They are under 29% from beyond the arc as an entire team, 320th at Ken Palm, again, among the worst power six programs in the country at shooting the rock from Beyond the arc, they're making about seven per game. They're attempting about 24 and a half per game. So again, the answer may not be take more threes. (laughs) In fact, the answer may be take less threes if that's what they need to do. Uh, But they need to find a way to bump that percentage. They need to find a way uh, to not be giving up as many points uh, by not being able to knock down these outside shots. And it starts with Wade Taylor. Wade Taylor's this team's leading scorer. He's their best player. Uh, He's, you know, a guy who who has aspirations of being SEC player of the year. Uh, He's probably still in that conversation, but not at the, you know, he was kind of a preseason favorite. I'm not sure he's quite there now. And part of that is because he's not knocking down his outside shots. He was 35 and a half percent last year on six attempts per game. This year, he's up to a little over seven attempts per game, but his percentage has dropped to 28.7. Basically the same percentage as the team is the percentage that Wade Taylor is shooting and, and you've got to hope that there's some positive regression coming for him as a guy who was much better in this area last season but it's not just him illinois chicago transferred jace carter uh, shot 38 as a freshman at uic shot 30 as a sophomore last year with them came over to texas a&m is now shooting over four per game but knocking him down at just 21 That mm. that is absolutely devastating and for the aggies I think the stat that's the most notable outside of Taylor's struggles are they only have one player on the team, one player on the entire roster shooting higher than 33% from three. Uh, on any number of attempts, on any number of attempts, only really one guy who's higher than that, and it's he- Hayden Hefner, who has been fantastic. He's about 42%, and he's taken about five per games. He is carrying this team in terms of their three-point shooting, but if it's just him, if Taylor can't get over that 30% mark, if Carter can't improve, if the other guys can't can't show more, this team's going to have a really hard time, especially against some of the really good defenses they'll face in the SEC.
0: Well, it's funny, Andy, early in January, they faced a three-game stretch against teams that are going to be bombing from three. Mm -hmm. They're at Auburn, home to Kentucky, and at Arkansas, So, and that's not even including Alabama. So it's really interesting, the dichotomy of Mm -hmm. all these SEC teams that are just lighting it up from deep um and and it's really funny as you look at a team like Kentucky that's been in this same mold as Texas Mm A&M but now has kind of revolutionized their offense to do what they're doing this year which coach Calipari is apparently thinking is a new thing from some of his post game comments which is ridiculous (laughs) (laughs) you're so in touch how are you missing that but anyway with the A&M Andy I think you're spot on there it's not necessarily about taking more Mm -hmm. it's you got to make more or you got to take less and you got to know the difference. Kind of yeah. going back to to what you said about Creighton and you kind of alluded to it. But like, hey, if it's not falling, don't keep forcing it because it's not the kind of thing where shooters shoot and eventually they're going to fall. It's no, that number is going to keep dropping that percentage the more you do it. So I'm with you, Andy. Good call on the Aggies. Gig em. All right. Folks, games are finally picking back up this weekend after a slow Christmas week. And while it's not a loaded slate this weekend, we do have some tasty matchups to get you ready for. But before we do that, let me tell you that this episode of Locked on College Basketball is brought to you by our friends at FanDuel. As the weather gets colder, the NFL offers stay hot on FanDuel. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 money line bet. It's $150 if your team wins. Maybe you've been thinking about joining FanDuel. Look, there's no better time to get in on the action than right now when you're making resolutions like we are. The app is so easy to use. There's a wide range of options such as player props, spreads, over-unders. you know, We just talked about Clemson. Boy, they are climbing up the ACC odds. Let me give you what FanDuel's got for the ACC. Duke at plus 260, Carolina at plus 300, Clemson third at plus 470. They've passed both Virginia, who's at plus 550, and Miami, who's at plus 600. So if you want to get in on that action or any of the NFL action this season, visit FanDuel.com slash locked on to do so. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. Okay, let's get Andy into our New Year's weekend preview. Again, it's not a loaded slate. We're not like foaming at the mouth with excitement over this. There's only one matchup between two ranked teams, but there are a lot of ranked teams in action, so we'll probably get some good games, some upsets. It's just that on paper, there's not a ton, but we do start with Friday night, a big game in the Pacific Northwest, San Diego State, the reigning national runners-up, are headed to Gonzaga number 13 in the AP poll tonight, Friday, 9 Eastern. Boo! that's a midnight Pacific tip <laughs> right there, baby. Um, not local time. No, it's not. Obviously, I I don't know how to math, <laughs> folks. That's actually six o'clock local time. <laughs> yes, we do. Ken Palm has this game, Gonzaga by five. Andy, my New Year's resolution is to figure out how to use time zones gooder. <laughs>
1: this is gonna be a really fun game. Uh, this is gonna be this is gonna be a really good one. I, I know it's not two ranked teams technically. San Diego State has kind of been flirting with being. In the top twenty-five, um, I haven't had them in mind for a while. They've had a lot of really close calls. I think they they beat UC San Diego by one or two. They went into overtime against Cal, I believe, or or either they went into overtime against Cal or they beat him at the on a buzzer beater. I remember that. Uh, I think it was overtime. Fun. Yep. Yeah. So they've had like three games against teams that they have shouldn't have any business being really close with, where they barely, barely won, and it just kind of feels like they're right on the edge of dropping a game they shouldn't drop. Uh, and Now they head to Spokane to take on a Gonzaga team that has not uh, played up to the expectation a lot of people have had for them. Their really only bad loss is the loss to Washington, uh, and that was a true road game. Washington is a, a good team. I don't think that that loss is particularly problematic, but one of the issues Gonzaga has ran into this year is that their wins are not aging well, and we'll talk about it momentarily with the two LA schools in usc and ucla two teams that are two of the biggest followers in college basketball right now those are two of gonzaga's best wins and it's very unfortunate that that those two teams just are not stepping up and and for gonzaga their their net ranking is pretty bad right now and, and they have san diego state and then they have kentucky in february but the wcc is down st mary's has not looked like a team uh not not nearly the team that people expected them to be so for gonzaga this san diego state game it, it's important. I mean, it's critical and it's a home game for them. And they rarely, rarely lose at the McCarthy athletic center. But one of the recent, not that recent, but one of the last times they lost a non-conference game at the kennel was to San Diego state when they had a power forward at the time that nobody'd heard of named Kawhi Leonard. Uh, that worked out yep. okay for him right. after that. But for Gonzaga, this is a, a must win game against a good team, a team that can slow them down. that That is good defensively. And for, for the Zags, they need to shoot it. Well, meanwhile, for San Diego State, uh, again, a team that that is kind of lacking some of those big wins as well, uh, this is a big one for them too. They, they got a, an opportunity to, to ge- carry some significant momentum, probably get themselves back into the top 25 conversation leading into Mountain West play.
0: Yeah, and I mean, I think here's the thing. It's kind of similar to what FAU is going through this year, Andy, I think, is that San Diego State is under much more of a microscope right mm-hmm. now because of what they did last postseason. Through twelve games, they're off to a better start than they were last year. Mm-hmm. At through twelve games last year, they were nine and three. This year, they're ten and two, and so mm-hmm. it's that thing of like, you know, you and I said it back when FAU lost to Bryant is like, yeah. just I know they lost the game, but the fact that we're talking about them mm-hmm. is the big deal. Yeah. San Diego State's under this microscope. They're thirtieth at Ken Palm right now. I mean, mm-hmm. it's not like. They're falling off the face of the planet. Mm-hmm. This is going to be a good basketball game. Hopefully, the Kennel will be jumping. I know mm-hmm. um, students aren't necessarily yeah. uh, obviously aren't back. So that could be a factor. Like how how jumping is it? Mm-hmm. Uh, line is minus five, as we said, for the Zags. I wouldn't be surprised if uh if they don't if they win but don't cover that. And San Diego mm-hmm. State's right there in the mix at the end.
1: Yep. Yeah. Going over the Big East, really, really fun, intriguing matchup here between Creighton and Marquette. Uh, it is at Marquette. It is Saturday, two p.m. Eastern time, which means eleven a.m. Pacific time, not five p.m. Pacific time, right, right there, Isaac. Um, oh, that's how it works, Andy. <laughs> the game will be on CBS right now. The Ken Palm line as we're recording this is Marquette by three and these two teams are you know coming into this this season coming into Big East play are kind of expected to be right up the top with UConn and yet they both take losses in their first Big East games making this matchup even more intriguing, mm-hmm. and one of the one of these two teams is going to leave this game on Saturday with four losses just at the start of Big East play. One of these teams is going to be zero and two
0: to start the Big East season. Well, Marquette, Marquette did beat Georgetown, so right, got, they'll be got that with the
1: win over Georgetown. So <laughs> kind of like zero point five and two, I guess, for
0: them. Um, Isaac, the question is simple: Which team is this? Is this game more important for Creighton? Creighton comes in having lost two of their last three. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously one was kind of a like semi away at UNLV and then mm-hmm. at home to Villanova, albeit in, in overtime last Wednesday. Mm-hmm. Um, but Creighton, you know, we just talked about them, the shooting, right? Like in the scoring have to be above 30% from three have to get to 80 points. Um, But it's been two of the last three games that they have not done that. Now, obviously, sandwiched between that is a win over Alabama. That -hmm. is a really good win. Um, But they've got to show that they can play with Marquette. They've got to show that Kochbrenner can go to work against Oso. Um, I'm really interested to see how they decide to defend Tyler Kolek. I think that could be an interesting factor in this game. Like, can Ashworth do that? I don't know that he can. That might need to be Trey Alexander. But -hmm. then that leaves them vulnerable elsewhere. So I I think the the ability to not stop Tyler Kolek because you can't, but at least slow him down is very important for this game.
1: Yeah. And it's a I mean, to be fair, it's it's more important for Creighton. Creighton, I agree with you, but it's a bad loss for Marquette too. Like Mm. not that Creighton is bad, but if Marquette loses, like this puts Shaka Smart's team in a pretty precarious position. That's what makes this game so fun is that somebody's gonna come out of this with a loss that they really didn't want to take.
0: Yeah, that's so true. Andy, let's keep going. Let's stay, uh, go back out West. Actually Um, on Thursday night, these games will have already happened by the time you're listening to this um, is UCLA will be at Oregon state USC at Oregon. But then on Saturday, as you know, folks in the PAC 12, we have these pairs that go play and flip flop over the weekend. So on Saturday, UCLA at Oregon, USC at Oregon state, Uh, the LA schools as Andy referenced earlier, have not lived up to things. US, USC hasn't lived up to it um, at to a lesser degree. UCLA is just like flat. Mm-hmm. We don't even know what's going on there. To that point, Oregon at Ken Palm is favored by seven, while USC is favored at Oregon State by eight. And I think, Andy, these two lines show the major difference in where the, the Trojans and Bruins truly are at right now.
1: Yeah, hopefully by the time folks are listening to this, UCLA has at least a win over Oregon State. Normally, I wouldn't even address that because we would just assume that UCLA beat Oregon State. But the way that they have been playing this season, I don't even know if that game is a guarantee and certainly going to Oregon at Matt Knight Arena. Uh, the Ducks have been inconsistent this year. They've had some significant injury issues, which seems to be uh, a frequent concern for Dana Altman's team. Uh, Oregon seems to always peak in January, so we'll see if they can pick up a, a nice win here at home against the Bruins. But again, this is—it's not even a great win for Oregon if they do get it. For UCLA, though, I mean, they just have to find a way to win some dang basketball games, and, and really, they got to find a way to score some points. Their offense has just been completely anemic. All season long, they don't have a go-to killer guy. They don't have, uh, you know, a a Tiger Campbell. They don't have a Jaime Jaquez. They don't have those kind of players to go get buckets, and and it shows when you watch them play. And for for USC, obviously, uh, opportunities for them to pick up decent wins uh, on the road here against Oregon, Oregon State. But uh, they need. We talked about them already. They need to figure out turnover issues. They need to figure out how to take better care of the basketball. Uh, They're a good offensive team when they are taking care of the ball, but. I think that they should win both these games but it's been a, it's been a tough road for them too and this is a good opportunity for them to end the season or excuse me end the calendar year on a high note and potentially carry some momentum
0: into the rest of Pac-12 play in January. Three other games we want to mention just in passing really quick as we get out another intriguing Power 6 um, cross non-conference battle before these teams get into play is Ohio State against West Virginia. That's Saturday on Fox at seven Eastern, four Pacific. Uh, Ken Palm line is, is Ohio State minus eleven. This is intriguing because um, while West Virginia is missing Jesse Edwards, they have gotten back Battle and Carcisa and Farrakhan, and so we'll see what these West Virginia guards can do against the Buckeyes. So Andy, that that's a big one. To keep an eye on and then we just want to mention quickly two intriguing mid-major versus high major games liberty against alabama in birmingham the tide are by favored by nine at ken palm just keep your eye on it Mm -hmm. same thing with indiana state the fight larry birds who are 11 and 1 at michigan state true road game saturday 2 eastern on fs1 sparty by nine but again keep your eye on both of those mid-major versus high major games
1: Isaac, wrapping up 2023, our final episode of the calendar year. Been an absolute blast. Looking forward to more fantastic. Uh, episodes, more fantastic opportunities to interact with all of you as our, our listeners uh, g- coming into 2024. But that is going to wrap it up for us today here on the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. We will be back next week recapping these games, talking about the, the upcoming matchups as we get into conference play here for college basketball. Uh, until then, though, apologies to the lawyer family. Let's go Wildcats. And until 2024, peace.